Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, we will continue this evening with our study of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sundarbha. We're in Anacheda 30 in the part of the Sundarbha, Paramatma Sundarbha, which deals with the intrinsic qualities of the Jiva, which is our nature, which is ourselves. We are the Jiva. We are the Tatasta Shakti of Paramatma. We're uh, on the 13th of the 21 intrinsic qualities that Jiva Goswami is going to be highlighting uh, based upon discourse from uh, Jamatri Muni. And the 13th is the referent of the pronoun I and this particular item the nature of I, I-ness, our I-ness, is discussed in uh, three anuchetas, uh, one of which we've already uh, covered. So we're at the second of those three explaining what really is I-ness. Now, in the last class, we went over an I-ness in relationship to the external manifestation of our body-mind complex and the distinction between that and an inner I-ness which is truly distinct from the material body and uh, reference was made to the idea that's put forth uh, somewhat repeatedly in, in the scriptures of and it's repeated frequently within the scriptures in order to give us some insight into the nature of our consciousness that we have, that we know of and experience three states of consciousness. And we can easily distinguish those. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that sometimes we're awake, sometimes we're asleep, and sometimes we're so, in, so deeply in sleep we don't even dream. So these three states of awareness, wakefulness, dreaming, dream state, and deep sleep um, is used. So in, the, in referring to this particular concept that is repeatedly put forth in the scriptures, Chippa Goswami uses that to highlight the fact that we should see the I-ness in relationship to what we really are as a spiritual entity and the distinction between that and material consciousness. That material consciousness actually is, well, sometimes it's all, all lit up. We've got lots of places to go when we're awake. We're fully conscious of the environment around us and we have all kinds of things we can do. When we're dreaming, yeah, things can kind of mixed up. We can, you know, go many places that don't even exist. In deep sleep, we don't have any experience at all. So that's really what's highlighted. What's it like to have no experience of the external energy? Well, we have experience of what that experience is like. And we come out of deep sleep saying, I slept well. And that's about it. Because there's nothing, the lights are on, but Consciousness is on, but there's nothing there to perceive. 
Jiva's bringing us into understanding the nature of a spiritual groundwork for activity by seeing, well, we can see that we can completely turn ourselves off. And we see this in some sages, and the, and the scriptures tell us of what that experience is like, like in a Sukadev, like in the Kumars. They're totally turned into Praman, and the material environment has, they really have nothing to do with it. They don't care if they eat, they don't care if they're asleep, you know, they don't care if they're dressed or not dressed. They have no affinity for material life whatsoever. Of course, their revelation of that is different than that of, of, of the bhakta. But that's for another discussion. Let's go on and see what Jiva says in this 30th Anucheta, uh, the second one dealing with the, uh, the referent I. The Jiva is the referent I. He begins this Anucheta saying, As Bhagavan said, Just as a man who sees others dancing and singing imitates them, so the self, although actionless, upon witnessing the state of the intellect, is impelled to follow them. Jiva's explanation is very succinct. The explanation of this verse is as in the previous Anucheta, i.e. the real I is herein distinguished from the phenomenal I. The real I being who we are, the phenomenal I being who we think we are because we've developed a, a affinity for a false narrative of, of what actually we are. We're a man, we're a woman, we're rich, we're poor, we're happy, we're sad, both gross and subtle, all these, all these come into play, but in reality, we're none of those things. So what are we? A little bit of the commentary here. The Atma is itself inactive by nature. Inactive in this context means inactive in relationship to the material energy. The soul certainly can be fully active in relationship to the spiritual energy, but that's another thing. Here we're dealing with, with a Sandarbha, the, the Paramatma Sandarbha. The Paramatma Sandarbha is dealing with the ex intrinsic energy of the Lord. So we're mainly dealing here, and Jiva Goswami will take us to the spiritual realm soon enough. The next Sandarbha is the Krishna Sandarbha, and after that the Bhakti Sandarbha, and then the Preeti Sandarbha. So we're going to learn about that other atmosphere, but in this Anucheda, I'm sorry, in this Sandarbha, the main subject is, of course, the material manifestation of the Lord uh, that comes about by the Paramatma feature of God. So when it says the Atma is inactive, it means the Atma is truly inactive in relationship to the environment around it. We're actually inactive. We're simply the observer. And we get wrapped up, but really it would be good if we could unwrap ourselves and sit back and just watch the show go on. The more we could do that, the happier we would be. If we would just think that we're really spirit soul 
I didn't just wreck my car. I didn't just break my leg. My girlfriend didn't just leave me. I didn't just flunk out of college. If you could just think, I didn't do any of those things that are happening in the environment around me. Why am I putting so much energy into what isn't really what I is my essence? Um, all action occur in the body and mind, but the body and mind are active only because of the presence of the Atma. Without the presence of the Atma, they would be inert. In Anacheta 28, and that was two Anachetas back, it was stated that the Atma is conscious by nature, Chaitana, and infused consciousness into the body-mind complex. Remember, that's where we were discussing Adiatmic, Adibaltic, and Adidaivic ideas as far as how we project our consciousness into the environment. And if you really think about it, that's the nature of Maya, and that's going to come out a little bit here, is we stick our foot a little bit into the concept that we're the material body, and all of a sudden the alligator of material existence grabs us and say, yes, you are, mm -hmm. and it completely overwhelms us. That's the nature of Krishna's mystical material maya potency. Consequently, it is the support of all the actions of the psychosomatic organism, meaning the Atma, the self of the self, is the support of all these things. The self identifies with the modifications of the mind and appropriates them as its own. Although inactive by itself, it is the instrumental cause of all actions. This shows that the self has its own intrinsic I and agency, albeit these inherent capacities of the self are manifested only through the body and mind. They're not, they're not us. They really aren't. To, to come to that depth of, of appreciation of the nature of our true being and to, and to, be, and to be there and, and to think that and to really adopt that well, it's difficult. The mind, oh, the mind is always springing up, the false ego, so many things. But through the practice of bhakti, we start to realize a true spiritual involvement. And the analogy's there. It's like putting an iron in a hot fire. Eventually, the iron will take on the characteristics of fire. Now we just have the characteristics of iron. We have many actions that can be performed under the uh, angas of bhakti that are that are helpful. If there does the observer come in to that? To what? If we're doing some service for the guru. Well then. We're active. The body and mind are acting. In that. To the extent that you're seeing everything in relationship to Krishna, then then you're not the material body. It's only when you think independent of your true spirituality that, that you take on the characteristics of matter. It only takes a moment to go there. It goes back and forth. Well, now we're in the vacillating stage for sure. And there's definitely progressive stages of devotional life. Adao, Shraddha, Tata, Sadhu, Sangha, Thaa, Bhajana, Kriya, 
to tow north on the British yacht, to tow Nista, which is the ta. In one of the postings that uh, Swami Tripurari just made today, he said that the the stage of Nista, if one one has made it to the stage of Nista, then they're truly they truly have the proper conceptual orientation. Anista Bhajana Kriya is characterized by, well, Anarthas. Anarthas are misconceptions or misplaced values. Like, I find value in the new, you know, uh, BMW I just bought. Well, it's a misplaced value. The car's going to rot. Jump in it, and we drive around. We put the put the top down, and it's like that's me. Here I am, me in my car. So it's interesting if we if we can come to the stage of nista if you can just get out of the anartha the vritti stage then you're that shows that you're you're dedicating your enough uh, dedicating yourself enough to your spiritual practice that you're willing to go through the constant endeavor of acceptance and rejection that lead to progressive spiritual life we have misconceptions regarding spiritual life. We have misconceptions. We can't take it all in at once. We need to be in good association. We need good guidance. Krishna's as deep as all the oceans that you could imagine. Uh, so the philosophy, even even as you continually read the philosophy, if you know, take advantage of the Purvacharyas, the prior teachers, uh, and hear from your guru, and take shiksha from other devotees as the more we do that misconceptions are dis- dissipated they they're like dark clouds that just they dissipate it's like a fog in the sunset it all of a sudden it, oh yeah that's right there's no place where it really says in scripture that we were with Krishna and Vaikuntha and we didn't fall down from there because why would we want to go to a place that's not not everything that Krishna I mean, he put on he put on a good show for Arjuna and, and said some pretty profound things. I want to go there. He said, if I go there, from there, there's no coming back. So, but then why in, in some association or due to circumstance? And you can see the circumstance. I'm not going to enter into a deep evening discussion. But from time to time, you think, why in the hell would the world... This, why is this world like this? Why would Krishna create these circumstances whereby, you know, I'm subjected to suffering? And the thing is, you have to realize, we have to realize that, well, it's it's his leela, and he wants to he wants to show mercy. The fact that we get too wrapped up, well, we can't really put that on him because not only did he create the world, but what was the first thing that he did? In the creation, he imparted Vedic knowledge to Brahma, and Brahma imparted to Dar, and Narda imparted. So there's a whole line of proper directives in in this material universe. The fact that we, you know, we decided to take advantage of the material aspect of things, we can't put really put that on him. Uh, but. To take some deep thought, we really have. There has. There's some real faith required there to 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 assimilate um, 
assimilate the nature of the Lord's material manifestation and the nature of his his shakti, which we are. We are part of, of, of Paramatma. We are his tatasta shakti. So in, in that respect, we're, we're very close to the Supreme. Sarvashya chaham riti sanivisto. I'm seated in everyone's heart. For me comes knowledge, remembrance, and forgetfulness. All we have to do is turn our consciousness, and all of a sudden, the lights start to come on. And the more we turn our consciousness, the more the lights come on, to the point that we become a Sukadev, we become a Kumar, or we become a Vaishnav. And, and material miseries, like the fog, evaporate. They honestly evaporate for the saintly. If there were no real I, if there wasn't a sense of I-ness associated with our spiritual self, our sense of I, we invest our sense of I, as we're speaking here, in, in the wrong things. But if there was no sense, real sense of, in the self, and no real agency, then the self would not be able to identify with the functions of the mind. The self is the seer and the mind is the seen. By the force of the material gunas, the self mistakes the actions of the body and mind as its own. In the above verse, it is said that the self is impelled to follow. In reality, the self does not follow because it is actionless. It appears to follow only because of identifications. Or, what do we say? Samskaras, impressions. We have impressions that are they're deep. And gradually, they have to be dissipated like the fog. Going on to the last Anucheda, explaining the, re, uh, the referent of the pronoun I. What's it mean when you say I? This is the third Anucheda. Very short. Jiva Goswami writes, Similarly, while also applying the example of dreams, Sri Maitreya said, It is because of this Maya that the self assumes a posi posi I'm sorry, positionality that is contrary to its inherent nature. Just as it appears to the witness of the dream of the dream state that he has been beheaded and other similar contradictions, even though such dream cognitions are without reality. That's from the third canto, the discussion of Maitreya. Uh, the word upadrastu, to the witness, and the demonstrative pronoun amusha, to that, refers to the observer of the dream by which is meant the jiva. So the commentary just goes to point out that really we can have a dream that where somebody's cut off our head or some other terrible thing. But well there'd be no there's no possibility of that happening really. In a dream state we can conceive of that. Um, but we wouldn't be able to see it because the eyes and the head that's been removed 
<laughs> so it would be kind of difficult. Um, how can anyone witness such an event when deprived of the same eyes that would make its vision possible? But one can sometimes observe such contradictions in a dream. The head is not actually cut off, but such an illusion can be created in a dream. Bhagavan's maya is such that it can accomplish things that seem otherwise impossible. How can we, being spiritual in nature, take on this material body and call it ourself? From, a, from the spiritual point of view, that seems as profound as having a dream that you've cut your head off. To the sadhu, it's like, how can you think you're this body? It, there's just no, there's, there's no basis for that in reality. So why are you, why are you so attached to what you aren't? And scripture just, just is overflowing with examples from liquid beauty to, to whatever of the fact that really it's, it's, it's not you. It's not who you really are. So give up that misidentification. Um, it can accomplish things that are impossible. That's Maya's, that's what Maya does. It puts us into such a state of illusion, you know, it's like taking a, a you know, hardcore psychedelic. You, you, you experience things that aren't really there and you take them on as a reality. And when the, you know, when when the pictures start dancing in front of your eyes, you say, wow, that's life. That's come to life. No, no, it's just it's just an influence of a drug. That's what Maya's like. It's as strong as the heaviest psychedelic that you could imagine. It we really buy into the to the trip. We jump right on and we think this this is this is our existence. Similarly, by the power of Maya, the self can superimpose upon itself an action occurring external to itself. This example of a dream also demonstrates that the self has its own innate I consciousness distinct from its phenomenal sense of I. So really what we've come away with from this discussion of the I-ness of the Atma is the I, the concept of I, is greatly influenced by Ahankar. And wherever we put stock in our I-ness, then we're supported in that. We're either supported by the, by the spiritual energy or the material energy. We should see that the, the support of the material energy in our I-ness in relationship to that truly doesn't hold any true value. Um, distinct. If the self did not have a real I, if we didn't have a, a true sense of I, it would not be possible for illusion to be superimposed upon it. So there has to be an I-ness innate in the self. That concludes this. Um, there's a saying in Sanskrit, 
that one can paint only if there is a canvas on which to do so. Every illusion requires a basis, a distada, on which it can be founded, just as a rope is the basis for its misidentification as a snake. And now we can go back into all those discussions and see, yes, there has, there has to be a basis. So there is, there is a real eye and there is a misidentified eye, which is the body-mind complex when used in relationship to the material energy. And we can turn that through the process of bhakti. So that concludes our discussion of our I-ness. The next Anuchena, Anucheta deals with the jiva is distinct in each body. In other words, in there's we're, it's, we're not all one. We're not all just one amalgamated jiva when you even when you take away the false sense of I, you still have a distinctive existence as a jiva independent of the illusion or the acceptance of the material energy as yourself. The I, the I that's your true self, does that I come through the same voice as your mind? Like... Is there two within the, in your mind? Like when you have some thoughts that are truly yourself and some are, are, are the, the false identity of yourself? You For a devotee, yes. You have a stage, as, as we're talking here, not to go off the subject, but yes. For a devotee, there definitely is. For the non-devotee, there generally isn't. Sometimes there's what you would call intelligence comes in and says... You really shouldn't steal, you know, the lipstick. You could get caught. And then your other eyes saying, well, yeah, but I could probably get away with it. Right. Or, you know, so, yeah, the mind can battle itself. And the minds constantly do that, doing that through a process of acceptance and rejection. I want it, but it's not good for me, but really I'm hungry well, I could, well, you shouldn't, well, you know, yeah, so the body... How does the mind, yeah, how does the mind relate to your true I? How, does, how do those two interact? When you give up your, sen- when you give up your intellect, yeah. your decision-making process, and base that process, you give up your vision of what's right and wrong, your vision of what you should do, your vision of, of, of activities within the world, and you take on the vision of guru, sadhu, and shastra. So when that becomes your vision, shastra chakshush, we see through the eyes of shastra, which entails all three, guru, sadhu, and shastra, then the more you do that, the more you're becoming spiritualized. So, you know, we have, we have a sense of I in relationship to the material world. That sense of I when it has no spiritual knowledge, basically it's just simply a a process. Yeah, the false eye is simply a process of accepting and rejection according to the vacillations of the mind. This is good, this is bad, this is hot, sad, happy, you know, so like that. But what the devotee does is he takes on a, he tries to mold his eye 
into the into the eye that is subservient to Krishna. If I'm chanting and my mind gets distracted, but then I tell my mind that you know I bring myself back to my mantra. Is that the 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 the, the true eye that's like coming? And going well, what's why? But really, what what's happening there is your mind has adopted through some a good association. And gradually, some some scars are coming on you from association, from the instructions of the guru, from the shastras, from all those things combined are gradually putting a spiritual impression there. So you're adopting that spiritual impression to the point that, you know, up to the point that you can do comfortably. And gradually, as we continue to go through progressive spiritual advancement, There'll be no question. I wouldn't do anything that would be displeasing to the guru. I won't listen to a mind that that says, you know, I won't live in a world without love. I won't live in a world without the love of my of guru, sadhu, and shastra. They're the people that have my true best interest at heart. So let me embrace that world. It may be a little difficult at times, from time to time. Oh my gosh, this is really this is really conflicting with my other sense of I. If you can even think that way, even if you can't do the right thing, if you can recognize, then that also is a step in the right direction. Anything else? All right, thank you so much for your association. <laughs>